Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galati along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, you've watched the game film. Has there been a better game film this year to watch for Penn State fans? I don't think so. I think this was the cathartic end to the season. And not to continue to say the same thing I have for about 10 days is how does this team finish strong? What does that look like when you got a banged up quarterback going into the game? Uh, all of those questions that we had, the offense answered emphatically in the best way that I think that we've seen all year. And then the defense did what they do, uh, where they were schematically and personnel-wise so dominant at the line of scrimmage that they just took that game over and made it a non-contest on that side of the ball, allowing Penn State's offense to get 300 yards and 13 points in the first half and then still roll to a 42 nothing win. So, uh the most complete game of the season even even comparing to games like uh UMass and Delaware where they put up large point totals, this was the best overall performance by all of the parts of the team coming together uh one last time to do it all right. Well, you mentioned the defense and how well they played. I've been reciting some of the crazy statistics from that side of the ball. And we will get to that. But the more interesting portion of the game for a lot of fans is the offensive side of the ball. And this is what we've been waiting for all season. You know, the fans were clamoring, where are those explosive plays? We finally saw them. We saw them in the running game. We saw them in the passing game. A lot of different aspects to this. Let me give you what I saw, T. Frank. And then you could tell me what I really should have seen, okay, Okay. after watching the game film. First of all, starting with Drew Aller, I saw a guy who was confident in the pocket. His footwork seemed to be good. What I specifically noted was how it felt like he went confidently through his progressions. He threw to the middle of the field. Mm -hmm. I, I know that he hit the one deep pass. I don't want to say I don't care about that, but I feel like that was even less important than getting these 15 to 20-yard passes down the field on a fairly consistent basis, uh, T. Frank. All right. Am I right in that evaluation? Yep, you are. Move on. (laughs) Okay. You nailed it. That's been it. That's it for the Keystone kickoff (laughs) show, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, We'll see you next time. Yeah. Uh, Uh, So let me get into into a little bit more detail. Yes. uh, Anna, Anna, you, you nailed the overall evaluation of why I thought this was a complete game from the offense. It's because Drew Aller was dealing to every part of the field, the offensive, um, you know, script worked and the, the running game was healthy. I wouldn't say like, if I'm going to nitpick, I would not say this was a clean game from the offensive line. They were way better than Michigan state. So 
talent-wise, they were able to do some things poorly and still get good results. Um, there were some things that Michigan State did on the front that, that every team does against a zone-blocking system that caused, I, I think, some you know some mental breaks from the guys up front. But they also got some great blocks. They got some perfectly blocked runs, especially the 50-yard the run uh, to start the game from Catron Allen. Tyler Warren gets a great block on the backside, one of the best he's gotten in that system all year long. And Olufashinu gets a good block on that side. Very much like the bowl game where Nick Singleton goes 90. It's just that cutback lane in the zone system that allows the flow to go one way. So all of the all of the defenders are chasing the offense laterally, and suddenly the running back cuts back, the safety's over-pursued, he falls to the ground, and you have this explosive run. So you got a couple of good situations like that, but for the most part, it was kind of a grind up front. But pass protection was good for the most part. Um, and then uh, the quarterback, as you mentioned, was going through his progressions. I really liked how they used empty, which is something that Drew Aller did in high school and they hadn't used all year long. And what an empty formation does, which means there's nobody in the backfield with a quarterback and you have five eligibles out in pass patterns, meaning your running back, tight ends, receivers, everybody is out is split out wide. It spreads the field out and makes the underneath zones a little bit clearer for the quarterback based on you know, what the defense runs depends on where he goes with the football of those five eligibles. But as long as, you know, four of them are going into underneath coverage, you can flood zones and do things that will easily open up passes for the quarterback. So making some easy reads for the quarterback. They did a couple of other things with just some basic offense that wasn't out of a new formation where they gave him some easy uh, reads in underneath coverage where... Michigan State's not playing good coverage. So that's the, the basis of all of this, is they're fundamentally easy to break. Uh, but you have things that easily break them and give the quarterback a simple read with multiple options, and then if he goes to the backside, he can go there. Um, so overall, a good game plan, as James Franklin had talked about, some of the keys that he had talked about was getting the quarterback in rhythm, giving him some easy things, and not making everything a doctoral thesis on reading coverage, which at sometimes it felt like some of these plays that they had been running early in the year, like they're complex. They had, you have to wait a while for them to develop and, and it, you know, it leads to some bad situations for the quarterback. So overall, I think a really, another really solid game plan, but the difference is we got to see Drew Aller executed this week where he got injured last time. I want to hit on the word simple that came up a lot. Going into it, as you pointed out, James Franklin had been talking for weeks. Got to get Drew Aller some simple passes, easy completions. Mm -hmm. Talking to the players after the game, when they were talking to the media, it was always the playbook was simplified. Tell me yeah. more about that. You, you mentioned that, and as easy as you're calling it, simple, simplified, you also had situations, I thought, where Drew Aller... Not only is it going through his progressions, but when he looks right first, then looks left, it's a second or third uh, option or progression. But just by starting out by looking right, is he not drawing the defense that way, which helps out the next progression? Yeah, and that's kind of a, a thing that happens in football naturally. I wouldn't say that like that was designed. That's just how a football play operates. So one of the ones that st stands out to me is always one of the 
you're running the same plays out of different formations. So that's something that Penn State did. Either different receivers are running those routes. So Theo Johnson versus Keandre Lambert-Smith, both are running the same route in the same play, but from different formations and from different alignments, creating the ambiguity that way for the defense, but not for the offense. That's one way to simplify the playbook. Instead of having this formation, this play, we get it in this look, and it's tailored specifically to something we're going to get, and then suddenly you don't get that call, and whoops, you know, you get something you don't expect. Um, so they're, they're running, I, I, I don't want to say better plays, but they're running plays that can be answers from multiple different situations. And then um, one of the things that always, the, the backside dig to me is a, is a sign of Drew Aller's health in a game. If he can get to the backside in route, which is about a 10 yard and then in route on the backside, most times, generally, this is a generality, most times you're getting cover three, which is three deep safeties uh, or three deep coverage defenders. And on the backside, that guy is guarding to the to the sideline, right? So he's guarding against a, a deep ball outside where the safety can't help him. But when you get the uh, that on the backside, it's just easier for the leverage of the tight end or the receiver to cut in and be in between zones there. And that is just a standard sort of on the backside of the progression. If all else fails, you look over here, and then the backside dig should be there. Drew Aller's really good when he's on, of being in the pocket, making a decision on the front side, and then bang, he's on the backside, where that not only is that route coming into his vision, but it's also one that is going against the leverage of the defense, something that is easier for him and the receiver to hit. So like, it's a good concept that I think a lot of teams have, but for, for this offense specifically, whenever he's able to get to those, it's a sign of, okay, Drew, Drew's confident in the pocket this week, and you saw that against Michigan State. There were several examples of that, but... That's just the one that always sticks out to me. And, and um, there's been several times in this, in this season where he's gotten to that, which is to point out, like, it's not just this updated system that is causing him to be good. He's been good the whole time. He's just, there's been things that have gotten in the way of his ability to produce, which is one of those reasons I haven't, I personally haven't given up on him, which I think is ridiculous that some teams or some fans have given up on Drew Aller already. Um, because there's all this evidence that his mind and his eyes are great, and it just takes the ecosystem around him to bring that out. Uh, T. Frank, and I'm going to sound like the typical fan here, which is why did it take so long for us to see these things uh, from the Penn State offense? The simplified throwing to the middle of the field, why was that missing before? Was it as simple as changing offensive coordinators to simplify it? Was it those things were there, but Drew Aller wasn't adept at it? How did this change? How does it look? And I do realize this was an outmanned Michigan State team, but yeah. Penn State's played some other pretty poor teams, and they didn't look like this. So I do want to I do want to point out that in my estimation they have played a, a I don't want to say an odd number of good defenses but I'm just pulling up the schedule right now and I know that this is going to sound silly uh, but Delaware had a good scheme like they they prevented deep balls by having four or five defenders at the at, you know deep preventing big plays um, so you go through the schedule 
Illinois, good defense. Iowa, good defense. Northwestern, not a good defense. They had a bad day. Ohio State, good defense. Uh, Indiana, a tough defense. Not a good one, but again, Tom Allen is a defensive mind. Michigan, good defense. And Rutgers, good defense. So they have a lot of good defenses on this schedule. But to answer your question, yeah, they, they fired the offensive coordinator and they installed uh, a new uh, dual coordinator system for some of these reasons. James Franklin has listed the things he's liked about the what they've been doing over the last two weeks and specifically some of the issues they had with play calling, game planning. He's dropped a lot of nuggets about things he was not pleased with with the prior offensive coordinator. Setting Drew Aller up for success by getting him some easy passes was one of the first things that came out of his mouth after the game, the loss to Michigan. So these are things they have done specifically in the last two and a half weeks to tailor the offense, the passing game specifically, because the running game stayed largely the same. Um, the passing game specifically, these tweaks to get the ball to the running backs and the tight ends in a logical way that isn't dink and dunk, I think has been the biggest change for the offense and one that, uh, yeah, you can point directly to the offensive coordinator for some of these things of not trying to force feed the receivers who were not as dynamic of threats as the tight ends and the, the running backs in certain situations. Okay, T. Frank, that's it for quarter one. We're going to continue on the offense in quarter number two. Stick with us. Hey, it's T. Frank. It's the holiday season. It's time for reflection, appreciation, and deals. Everyone knows a good deal during the holiday season. And RogueShop.com, they've got a deal for you. Now, it comes with a little, just a little bit of work on your part, and then you get an awesome reward at the end. So... RogueShop.com has been supporting this channel for a long time. So if, if you support us, here's a great way to give back to the sponsors that make it so we can do this. RogueShop.com is in a competition for best CBD retailer on the internet. So go to this link and don't worry, I'll put the link in the description of the video. Put all this information in there. Uh, all you have to do is click on that link, vote, and then take a screenshot of your vote. Send it to RogueShop, um, sales at RogueShop.com and get 20% off everything at the site. So if you're listening on the podcast, do go to the YouTube channel, do check out the video so you can get the link. 20% off at everything at rogueshop.com once you've given them proof that you have voted for them. Also for the holiday season, if you're interested in something like this, an edible advent calendar, which is super cool and fun. Um, like I said, they've supported this channel for us for a long time. They've been one of our most consistent supporters. So give them some support back because they're giving you something for doing it. Once again, I'm going to put all this up here on the screen so you can see it. But really, it just goes to go to the link, vote for Rogue Shop, take a screenshot, send it to them. You can go to the message board if you're a member and you can sign up there uh, or you can you can uh, sign in there and check out the information. There's a couple of different ways, but this is the most efficient way for me to tell you right now sales at rogueshop.com send your screenshot there and you'll get a discount code once you prove that you have voted for them okay holiday season everyone loves a good competition but more most importantly everyone loves stress-free environments and sometimes you can't get stress-free environments so rogueshop.com they're there to help judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number two. He is T. Frank Carr. I am Jim Galante. You are either listening to our show on the Keystone Sports Network with our uh, Keystone Sports Podcast, or you are watching on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. My suggestion is whichever side you're doing, check out the other. If you're listening to us on Keystone Sports, go to YouTube, Blue White Illustrated, fantastic channel, great videos led by our buddy T. Frank Carr. And if you're watching on the YouTube Blue White Illustrated channel, hey, how about downloading our podcast, Keystone Sports? We got a lot more going on there also. So, T. Frank, how's that for cross-promotion? It's perfect. I, you know, if you've been listening to the show for years, this is something I know from radio. Like You've imagined what we look like. You have, in your head, created a thoroughly unrealistic expectation of what we look like. So just rip the Band-Aid off and, and check out the YouTube channel so you can see our faces don't match our voices or they match it perfectly. Either way, I've been told this is the weird thing is like, I don't know why, but I've been every every time we go out in the public, everyone's like, oh, man, you're not as tall as I thought you'd be. And I'm like, I don't know if that is like, do I have this persona of like some large commanding person? Uh, uh, that's great. But like, you know, I don't know. It's just one of those things where it's like, if you see me in public, trust me, you don't need to say that. I'm already aware that I am not a tall person. Well, the, the issue I have when I see people in person is on the show, somewhere along the line, I think I mentioned I'm six foot three with bushy blonde mm-hmm. hair. And, uh, Obviously, people are disappointed when they see me for real, uh, <laughs> T. Frank. So, anyway, let's move on. Let's talk football. We were talking about Penn State's offense in this 42 nothing win against Michigan State. This was probably as, as good a performance as we've seen from the team all season. We were talking quite a bit about the passing game. Let's get into the running game a little bit that we saw. Let mm-hmm. me tell you from... A casual, I say casual fan in terms of relative to you study, doing film study and so on. What I saw or what I thought I saw was they got their running backs to the outside. I know this mm-hmm. is also a little bit with the passing game, but Nick Singleton lined up essentially as a wide receiver, getting him the ball in space. They did that with both uh, running backs. I thought it looked to me at least one of my pet peeves all season, T. Frank, has been this zone read where the quarterback either gives it to the running back or he keeps it the ball. Those are the options, but he never keeps the ball. So in this game, it looked to me like they were doing more true RPO, run pass option, where mm-hmm. it was the quarterback pulling the ball out from the running back, but instead of running, he was throwing the ball. But at least there was an option there, and they were exercising that option. So yeah. those are some of the things that I saw. Am I correct in that evaluation? Yes. I mean, there's always an element of the RPO, um, and you're just not annoyed by it. The, or Sorry, the read option. Even I do it, by the way. And when I correct people, like, I do it too. Um there is always the element of the read option in the offense. The The difference is, as much as I said, I don't know that it was the best technical game from the Penn State offensive line. They also dominated at times. So it was just six yards instead of being three, like it was for other teams. And they were able to, able to get to the second level. And there's some really good blocks to start the game from J.B. Nelson, who comes out of the game. Um, so it was uh, it was just kind of a a, a muddied 
evaluation from the front where it's like, oh, this is really good. And then they kind of fumble their way through a couple of things and the running backs generated some extra yards. So it, it's not like the, the offense changed all that much. And that's why the, really I focused on the passing game the last two weeks is because that's what's changing. The running game, you're not going to change dynamic parts of that week to week. A um, couple of things that, that you said there that we, we should put some paint some picture around. So Nick Singleton gets to the outside on a running play, and you go, why haven't they done that all year? Jim, they've tried. They've tried to do that all year. So again, to get to not, not to defend the guy who got fired, but that's not a new concept trying to get the pin and pull where you have the tight end down blocking and then springing the offensive lineman and everyone out into the flat. They've tried to do that multiple ways, multiple times with Nick Singleton. The problem is the tight ends have been bad at that block that you know, there's a reason everything is named the way it is in football. You know, a three, four is you've got three defensive linemen, four linebackers, pretty <laughs> obvious, a pin and pull. You have to have the pin to get the edge of the pocket before you can spring anybody into space, not just the running back, but the offensive lineman. And Tyler Warren was great. Uh, a lot of this game from a blocking perspective. So it's just been hot and cold with the tight ends. And it honestly depends on which big 10 defense they're facing. Not a big 10 defense. They can run outside. Uh, a bad Big Ten defense like this one, they can run outside. Good ones, th that block gets dominated, and you've got to go somewhere else to try and get your yards. So uh, it's too obvious to say Nick Singleton in space equals good, everything else equals dumb. There's a reason they weren't doing it all year long. If they could have done it all year long, they would have. Um, but the, the tweak here, the real tweak was you mentioned Nick Singleton being out as a receiver on the screen plays, which we'll just lump in here to the passing game or to the running game. Normally, that would have been a receiver. That would have been one of the wideouts to catch that ball and then try to break tackles out there. So again, Tyler Warren shoves the dude out of bounds. Like he takes a corner and puts him on the bench. That's a high school level block, you know, where you just so big you dominate. And then Nick Singleton breaks two tackles by being faster than the Michigan State defenders and breaking those angles. So that's a tweak of let's put our good players in position to succeed in space so we're not running swing passes. And this is what I was against the whole year of throw to the running backs more, throw to the running backs more. They're such low-value targets, and they are designed by the defense for rally and tackle, so you get maybe 10 yards. This is a situation where it's already a part of the offense. It's already something you're doing. Do I love those now screens? Not really. But if you're running them as an RPO and they're baked in the offense, you're just tweaking who you're throwing the ball to and you're generating this explosive play because Michigan State is bad and you've put your athlete in space to succeed. So those are two ways, two simple fixes for this game that they did with, with uh, Nick Singleton specifically. And then just being better than Michigan State. And some of that stuff is just going to happen when you face a defensive end who's a redshirt freshman. Ken Talley, by the way, at one point was committed to Penn State for fans that don't remember. Um, and you got a redshirt junior, redshirt sophomore, tight end, whatever Tyler Warren is, being the dominant blocker in that situation. So Michigan State's defense, in a lot of ways, didn't understand their own plan of attack. When in the passing game, guys didn't understand what they were trying to do in the secondary. And the, the defensive line, parts of it was good and was causing Penn State problem. But then you just got young, inexperienced people out there not doing their task and allowing Penn State these explosive plays. And he, Frank, talk to me a little bit more about every player talked about the playbook was simplified. How mm -hmm. did they accomplish that? 
it's just you run fewer plays. Um, and this is something that is, I think, even even when you watch the film, if you're not a former quarterback or an offensive expert, and this is an area where I'm I'm not fully fluid and proficient, but it like I said, it's running same or similar passing plays with similar rules um, out of different formations. So it's all about formation and personnel and less about the scheme. So the scheme takes a backseat of, okay, we're going to run 15, 20 plays, whatever it might be. Um, I don't, I, I've never made a game plan. This is where, you know, I, I, the, I get off the boat of, I know exactly what I'm talking about, <laughs> but I can give you examples of times where Penn State ran the same play uh, from a uh, receiving combination route, uh, the, the similar or same routes together, but with different players. So, for example, instead of being Dante Cephas and um, Theo Johnson on one play, it's Amari Evans and Keandre Lambert-Smith, and you run it from a different formation where Keandre Lambert-Smith is condensing down into a, spl a tight split with the other receiver into a bunch, and then you're running the same routes, but you're running it from a different formation looking like you're trying to get one thing, but really you're just doing the same thing but different. And that's where you get the simplification of the playbook. Everyone knows the routes that they're supposed to run, and then you execute them from a different uh, uh, alignment, which is much easier. They did a, a couple of things, by the way, that didn't really work. Like they they worked a lot of motion into the into the offense that didn't have as big of a yield, but it is something else that helps get receivers open. Penn State's receivers have struggled mightily to get open against man coverage, motioning into a bunch formation, getting them moving at the snap. That's a way to create um, to create space for the receivers without changing their actual route. The only thing you're doing is starting them from a different spot. As a detail that you can work in, as opposed to you know, a, an entirely different concept. So those are some of the ways you simplify the playbook. From a run perspective, I didn't see anything different. Like, just they just ran the same stuff they've run all year, which, again, if you've been watching T. Frank's Film Room, why I've been kind of downplaying that and I, not ignoring it, but not giving it the same level of detail, because you've seen it. The only difference is, did they block it correctly versus this defense? And um, that's one of those things when you talk about Mike Yersich, and it wasn't all bad, it wasn't all broken, but there was enough that they had to do differently that unlocked the passing game. Because even though they never got these explosive plays, Jim, I felt like the running game was fine this year. It generated four to five yards per carry. And I guess I just have a lower expectation knowing how hard it is to run the football um, in general. How hard it is to get all of those blocks and to make sure that you're blocking proficiently to get just easy running lanes for the running backs to get explosive plays. Well, you know, it, and I probably need to rewatch the game because in my mind, it was so many games, it was frustrating, as I said, where they would run that read option. And 99% of the time, the ball was given to the, to the running back, and it felt like the defense was focused on it. And it seemed like, I said, this time they were running more and I'm using layperson's uh, vocabulary here, I call it a true RPO, where it was either give to the running back and quickly making a throw, yeah. and, and that seemed to be effective, and it felt like the first time I'm watching a game saying, oh, there it is, that's that RPO, that I thought we were going to see a lot from a Mike Yersich offense, and it, at least to me, it didn't feel like we were getting that, so Frank. Um, 
you can tag this is where it gets really technical jim is any running play where a wide receiver runs a route can be an rpo so even if it's a decoy um and usually it's not usually it's an rpo and the and the quarterback the the read is give um so they've run a lot of these this year um the style at which they ran them this year or this game was different and really there's only a couple of plays where i think it's really like Oh, that was the RPO they should be running. The Dante Cephas slant route for a big play. That's early in the game. That's that's one that I can think of off the top of my head sitting here with you without looking and going back and looking at all of the data and looking at which ones were RPOs and which ones weren't. But it, to that point, they hadn't run anything that was that kind of traditional, simple, makes the defense so wrong. And that was that is one of the changes they made in this game. Very good, T. Frank. All right. That's it for quarter two. Coming up, quarter three, we've got your questions, and we're going to ask T. Frank. Stay tuned for that. Hello, and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number three. I'm Jim. He's T. Frank, and we call this segment Ask T. Frank. This is where we'll take your questions, Ask T. Frank. He gives a tremendous answer, and at the end of the segment, he will pick out the best question. Whoever sent that to us will win the prize pack from 409tailgateclub.com, the place to go for all those great barbecue rubs, barbecue sauces, and even Bloody Mary mix. T. Frank, are you ready for your questions? Yep, let's do it. All right, let's start with Kurt from Lehigh Valley. Kurt says, I keep hearing how the offense ran better the past two weeks because it was simplified. Is it possible that this year's key players at quarterback and wide receiver were too inexperienced for Mike Yurcich's offense, while last year we had a 60-year quarterback and NFL talent at wide receiver? I would say yes for the receivers, no for the quarterback. I think the quarterback handled it fine. It was just a level of indecision based on, am I going to trust the receiver I'm throwing the football to? Um so th- there's there's some obvious examples of guys that didn't necessarily understand the offense. Then there's the subtle thing of, are you running as fast as you possibly can because you have conviction about your assignment? So I think that that's kind of the general, the general sense from the offense is we can play faster because in every situation we have rules that will determine what we're supposed to do and we all understand those rules. There's not too many rules to the offense or too many adjustments or checks. And that's across the board, not just the receivers, but also the tight ends and the running backs. And I think we've covered also putting your best players in position to be the targets. And we've seen much more, I think, appropriate ways of getting the ball to the running backs. And then an emphasis on running primary reads to the tight ends, to Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson, which is something James Franklin had wanted all year. Mike Yurcich's offenses, if you go back through time, you look at them all, they're all wide receiver dominant. He's trying to get the ball to the receivers in explosive play situations because typically, Jim, those are the fastest guys that can create the most big plays per snap. That's correct. Like, that's also a smart thing to think, and that's that's backed up by uh, a lot of data. But the problem is, and this is James Franklin talked about it all year, we need dominant receivers. But they didn't get any. They didn't get any dominant receivers. So you have dominant tight ends. They've, instead of trying to do the right thing, you know, they're not letting great get in the way of good and they've been putting together good efforts and you've seen the quarterback in a position where I'm going to throw this ball to the receiver and I know the receiver is going to be there 
And so everything works more efficiently. And I think that's really the biggest change uh, over the last two weeks. Well, whatever it is, we like seeing the improvement. Uh, let's go to Henry in Erie. He said, Drew Aller came in as a highly rated five-star quarterback with all kinds of expectations, he, Frank. What is your assessment of him after a full year of starting? So I don't know that my – this is a great question. Um, I'm a bit disappointed. I'll, I'll admit I'm a bit disappointed because I know, even from watching when he's not playing well, that he knows how to read a defense. And to me, the biggest challenge is watching a lot of quarterbacks is, can they do they know what they're looking at? And there's a lot of evidence that Aller knows what he's looking at on almost every play, where his post-snap analysis of what's happening is not only good, but it's it's efficient. And then the second thing is, like, do you have the accuracy to get the ball where you want to at all times? And that part, when he's confident, the answer is a resounding yes. But the problem is everything we just talked about with Kurt, which is, is he confident in the pocket? Is he confident in what he sees from his own offense, let alone the defense? So from a production standpoint, I was expecting him to be an elite producer at the position. That they would have... Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren, you know, there was enough pieces here that they could put something together that he would be able to target and attack everything he was supposed to. Uh, and in the good games, he did. You know, this past game against Michigan State, I, it's another one of those situations that I should, that when I'm watching and I show you this stuff on film, or the the Indiana game and then the, the progression to Maryland, like, these are five-star traits that even if it's not consistent, most quarterbacks aren't doing this when they're doing well. Most quarterbacks, in college specifically, they are hitting their first read, and if they aren't, they're running the football or they're checking it down. They're not going through a full progression and finding the receivers on the backside of the play to make the defense pay for existing. Uh, you know, just the fact that you can't cover everything, and what Drew Aller always, his, his mantra of taking what the defense gives you, they can't cover everything, is all true. But very few quarterbacks can do that. A lot of quarterbacks in college are manufactured from the first read. The, the scheme gets them open through, you know, um, screens, trick play, not trick plays, but like, you know, designed to get them open where they just have to point and shoot. Aller has another level of ability here. And getting it consistently out of him, that's the part I'm disappointed in. Both in him, and as, as we said, being a little more mentally resilient in big situations, not letting the moment be too big for you, and also just the, the pocket presence and some of those things that we, we talked about throughout the year that we pointed out in his film rooms. And, and at the best, no, I'm not disappointed. He's exactly what I thought he was. It was just the, the ability to get it out of him each week. And that obviously, a large part of that was the, the situation he was put in um, from the coaching staff. Because the last two weeks, I've liked much more what I've seen from Drew Aller and from his ability to complete passes. Like just to complete the football because he's been given things that aren't so hard on every single play. Sounds like you're saying that high ceiling is still there. We just don't always yeah. see it. All right. Oh, I'm going to be interested in how you answer this one, T. Frank. This is Dave from Hershey who says, if you're an NFL team in need of a running back, would you go Nick Singleton or Catron Allen? Don't make me answer this one. Because <laughs> oh, I would say right I'm now, I'm making neither. you answer it. This is the question. Dave from Hershey uh, 
deserves an answer, T. Frank. <laughs> so you're saying NFL team. NFL yes. team. We're yes. not talking about, okay, I, I don't know that I would pick either of these guys because they both right now have flaws that at the next level will not allow them to be number one running backs. Katron Allen, I guess if you made me pick between the two, would be the guy I would take right now because he produces yards after contact and catch. You can do a little bit more with him. He's more versatile to more systems. But he isn't, like, the fact that he got open on that outside zone, the cutback, and didn't score a touchdown, it shows you, like, what his NFL future is. He's going to be a rotational back at the next level. And right now, Nick Singleton doesn't do enough special things with his special skills, again, even when he's in the open field, um, to be a guy I'm like, that's my guy. Both of these guys are not like lead backs in the NFL right now. Singleton is the one, and the reason we focus on him is he's got the skills that he could be that eventually. But his running style, his vision, his patience, his feel for the game all has to improve to unlock all of his silly level traits. And I think it's fair to say he does not have a repertoire of moves to use on defenders to gain yards after contact. He, he runs people over. So if you're going to run people over, if you're going to be that player, he's got to be bigger or he's got to fall off contact and have better contact balance than he does right now. He's kind of a, just the way he's built. If you see him up close, he's kind of a top heavy dude, very high center of gravity, narrower hips than most running backs. So he's kind of a track running back, like a track athlete where he's got that burst and that speed and that, that, that you know, if at his best, he could be like an Adrian Peterson who had a similar body style, but was, you know, thicker all the way through. We're getting now, now you're making me do NFL draft evaluations of these guys, which is like a long thing. So the short answer is I wouldn't really at this point take either guy, but if you made me lean one or the other right now, I would choose Katron Allen because I know he's going to get four yards consistently. I think Nick Singleton has the bust chance, the boomer bust chance there from his play style and body type combination. That's an interesting evaluation, uh, T. Frank. I, I was real curious about that answer, and that was an interesting one. Let's go to Sam in New Jersey who says, if Manny Diaz does move on, do you think James Franklin will do everything possible to maintain the same style of defense? Would that most likely mean an internal hire? No, I don't think he would do everything in his power to maintain this because this is Manny Diaz. I don't think you get this. You can't you can't photocopy this defense. I, I don't think you can do that without Manny Diaz. And that's what a lot of teams try to do with an internal hire. And it's just look at all the great offenses where the offensive mind is is the the play caller. Then he goes on Kyle Shanahan, you know, like one of those guys who um, the, the ones that have succeeded are also great minds. The other ones that haven't succeeded is like, hey, I just took the playbook with me. I don't have the secret sauce. I think you could still promote from within. I, you know, I think that there are some guys on this staff that are excellent. Uh, I, I think Anthony Poindexter would be a great option for a defensive coordinator. He, you know, I don't know that he has the, the you know, laundry list of experience, but I just I love what he's been able to do with his positional players and how well they've played this year. Um, but you would stay in the same family. You would stay within a 4-2 option for a 4-3, have that hybrid linebacker, but you're you're not changing radically the system just the same way he did with Manny Diaz. It's going to stay in the same family tree because he's he's recruited this talent. He has these players. 
Um, but no, you're not re- you're not manufacturing Manny Diaz defense without Manny. Oh, very good. Uh, let's get Carl from Arlington who says, can you assess the season that Kalen King had? He didn't seem to flash as much, but is this because they didn't throw towards him? No, that that op, that answer, that kind of conversation went out the window halfway through the season. He had enough targets that we got a, a sample size. If he just, he wasn't as good this year. Um, part of it is that I think there's a certain ignorance is bliss with football where you do your job and you just do your job and he's a great athlete with great instincts at the position. I think, and he mentioned this before the season, he delved into film and tried to learn more about what offenses were trying to do to him. He was trying to be that next level corner and I think he was trying to jump a lot of routes. He was trying to anticipate things and be a superstar. And there's a lot of paralysis by analysis and there's a lot of indecision and there's a lot of thinking. Um, And then there's also a lot of uh, gambling a little bit. Now, obviously the Marvin Harrison Jr. thing where he's going up against him one-on-one did not, did not work. But that is a little more understandable given that he's 5'11", 190 pounds versus a six foot four freak. Like I'm comparing Marvin Harrison Jr. like Julio Jones. That's the class of receiver he's in. So that matchup, I, I'm not surprised that he didn't win that matchup outright. But just generally from the way he played zones in this year, like, when he wasn't thrown to, he was sticky, and he just denied coverage, denied denied the pass. But in certain zones and situations, I saw a lot of trying to anticipate the route combination or trying to jump things or just having indecision, which caused him to not be as good this year. Very good, T. Frank. That's it for quarter three. And ask T. Frank, stick around, start a quarter four. T. Frank will name our winner. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. It's quarter number four. Quarter four means we just got done with quarter three, which was Ask T. Frank. T. Frank, we need a winner. Who's it going to be? So I'm going to do this thing where I'm going to tell the runner-up that they uh, are the runner-up. Dave from Hershey asked a great question that was mentally stimulating, but it put me in a terrible (laughs) position, and I didn't like that, to be like, hey, first off, I'm picking Catron Allen over everyone's favorite, Nick Singleton. And I'm not even comfortable with that because if we're talking NFL and, you know, the, the, if you just smush those two running backs together, all-time great running back, take that guy. Um, but right now, like, the, the way that their game is, like, I don't know. I just, I don't know. But we're going with Henry and Erie because I think the assessment of Drew Aller, the conversation about his season, giving some nuance and context to his performance and the ecosystem he was in, given that his offensive coordinator was fired before the end of the season, which is something James Franklin has not done typically, um, I, I think all of that puts it into perspective um, of a very confu- I don't want to say confusing, but something that uh, I don't think we expected. And of course, like, you know, when you're talking about is he the guy, is he not the guy, and somehow he, he landed in the middle. He landed in the middle of is he the guy, is he not the guy, and it's just a very, very interesting perspective of, uh, of a five-star quarterback. Well, and I also know before the season you wrote and we talked about what the expectation level was for a five-star quarterback in his second year being a first-time starter, and it was pretty high expectation based on what you found from from other folks who fit in that uh, boat, I 
I think that five-star talent is still there. Like I said, still the high ceiling. And it was interesting. You're talking about Dave from Hershey's question, Nick Singleton versus Catron Allen in the NFL. I resisted the temptation of saying your Buffalo Bills have this choice. As a Bills fan, <laughs> I, I just thought, well, you know what? That was I'm the frame of reference. That, yeah. I, I would have to then also mention that Bills-Eagles game from over the weekend, and I know that might hurt a little too much for you, T. Frank. So I didn't want to bring up the Bills. So. Yeah, I know that this is always where we stray accidentally uh, on these shows as I start giving two minutes. Here's a here's a problem. I am absolutely a fan when it comes to the Bills, so I'm like, fire everybody after that game. And like, I'm like, oh, I don't recognize that person. Um, the problem is Joe Brady gave me hope for a week, and like that is the worst thing in the world because things haven't changed. Like They don't have Trey Davis White or Matt Milano or Daquan Jones or like the really good football players. Their safeties are old. Like The defense isn't good enough to win a championship this year. Von Miller is a shell of himself. So even if the offense scores 38 points, like the, the, the other team's going to get 39 because no lead is safe when the Buffalo Bills defense is on the field right now. Uh, it's just like they've proven that. So anyway, total digression. Let's not talk about that. Let's talk about Penn State football. So what you're telling me is hope is actually a bad thing. Okay, Sometimes. let's move on. <laughs> let's talk about this Penn State defense. <laughs> Let me just throw a couple numbers at you. I've done this on previous shows this week, but it bears repeating, uh, T. Frank. Michigan State, 11 possessions, 8, count them, 8 three and outs, 6 drives with negative yards, minus 47 yards in the second half, and their longest drive in the second half was 1 yard. Yep. Uh, T. This I know you mentioned earlier. This defense was just better than Michigan State's offense, but still, you don't see this kind of domination just because the defense is better than the offense. It was incredible to watch. Yeah, and this is what James Franklin talks about when he when he talks about Manny Diaz's defense not having any easy yards. There's no gimme plays. They give you nothing. Um, and that does, as we've seen in this this season, sometimes that leads to explosive plays by random Indiana teams where they suddenly get 30-yard touchdowns if you're not on your game. But that's that's what you do against a team like Michigan State that you are so overwhelming. And it does start at the line of scrimmage where Penn State's defensive ends. And if you watch this Michigan State offense, the number one thing you saw was, oh, no. Like, this is this is seeing a car crash happen before it happens. Because those tackles, and I, I made this joke all week, I'll say it again, they are trying so hard, Jim. And I went on the tailgate show when I was talking to Nias Hawkins, and he's like, yeah, that's not good. When they look like they're trying really hard, it means that they are thoroughly outclassed as athletes. And that's right. Like, that's the point I'm making is Penn State not only has an advantage against every other team, but they had a significant advantage against this team because uh, some of those players also didn't necessarily understand their assignment at all times. So not only are they getting beat physically, but also they are not doing things to make it hard on Penn State from a technical standpoint either. So you can't throw the football any more than five, six yards down the field. Um, and then on top of that, remember all those conversations about can Penn State stop the run? Are the defensive tackles big enough? And like we just stopped talking about that because it's so obvious that against almost every single team, yes, they are. And the defense and the way that they attack and the way that they can get free runners into the backfield is taken for granted now. It's an automatic that they are going to be good against the run. There are certain plays where they're going to give up yards because this is not an NFL uh, team. They don't have, you know, 
They have guys that make some mistakes. They have guys that, you know, aren't going to play at the next level and the second string and all that stuff. But 90% of the time when the starters are in the game, you cannot run the football. And if you do, you're grinding out yards in weird ways, you know, where you're just like it's you fall forward for an extra five because schematically they are there at the point of attack. So you've taken away the run game. You've made them one-dimensional. So that shrinks the field to about 10 yards in every direction. And Penn State is able to put you in a box and then just beat you. And that's, that's what they do. And that's what they did uh, against Michigan State. Well, if you can't pass the ball, can't run the ball, it doesn't leave a whole lot else. And I thought it was funny. Hunting. Uh, yes. I, Todd Blackledge, on the call, there was what a third and 30 and they yeah. ran the ball, which was very predictable, and the fans were booing. And Tom Blackledge is like, what do you expect them to do? There is no yeah. uh, route that the receivers could run that will get you 30 yards where the quarterback won't be killed first. So yep. it was overall domination in every way. So I, I'd like to pick out a specific item and have you help us out explain why it's been so effective and that's we've seen this mostly with Johnny Dixon being the cornerback mm-hmm. that blitzes and gets the sack. In this game, I think he had half a sack, but we saw Cam Miller playing yep. that role and him getting the sack. Explain how that works, how they're able to free up those cornerbacks to make that kind of blitz. Because it's so much fun to watch because you know yeah. as cornerbacks they're so fast and they yeah. get to the quarterback so quickly. What are they doing in their alignment that allows that to happen, T. Frank? Uh, it's more about the personnel because you're freaking out about Abdul Carter, Chop Robinson, Deny Dennis Sutton, and Adisa Isaac. Where are they? And where they go draws a lot of eyeballs. So it's just it's as simple as, uh, you know, this is just a defensive slant or a stunt where you are moving your defensive lineman from the gap they're in to the one next to them or some combination of that. So if you're if you're blitzing from let's say you're blitzing from the left tackle side, you've got the defensive line slanting to the right. And that means the tackle's immediate reaction is to go inside, is to go towards let's say Abdul Carter, who's blitzing into the B gap. And that just means that the corner, you complete, either you completely forget about him or he's now on a running back. And that is an easier task than if you are going a bit to tackle. Um, the second thing is they also sometimes overload one side where there aren't enough people on that side to block the defenders that are coming. And Penn State's secondary is good enough to deny that first read, where we talked about most quarterbacks are a manufacturer of their first read, and they don't actually have the mental capacity to go to the second read. Well, in these situations, they don't have time to go to the second read. So, you know, the secondary is in their, the face of the receiver. It's not a clean read. The quarterback double clutches. Suddenly, he's hit from the blind side by Johnny Dixon. So, they're very good at multiple things. And one of the things they've gotten really good at is rotating coverage, where now suddenly you're replacing... Kalen, uh, Johnny Dixon with uh, KJ Winston in, in this zone blitz. And he makes an interception where now you, you, maybe you even see it coming, but you don't see the next thing, which is you've got to throw with anticipation. And KJ Winston is six, two and runs a four, four. And suddenly you have a safety, get the ball. So they, they just have so many answers. They have so many problems they can present and so many answers for things that you want to do as an offense that, when you start with the basic fundamentals of, oh, and by the way, your offensive line is not good, 
it, this is how it becomes a complete snowball domination because that's the style of play that they want to have anyway. And when you give it to them through multiple mistakes or deficiencies on your own, you know, this is how they shut down the entire half of the 2022 season and then select games here in 2023. Uh, you mentioned one of the names, but there's two names I want to throw out there who weren't, especially coming into the season, weren't considered the stars of this defense. And you mentioned mm -hmm. one, K.J. Winston. And the other one I want to bring up is Kobe King, who, yeah. to my eyes, just seems like so much better a player this year than he was a year ago. Tell me about those two guys and their development. So Kobe, I want to start with him because K.J. is, safeties are hard. A lot of times. Now, KJ is involved in the run a lot, so he, there's more evidence there. But, you know, Jalen Reed had a great year, but he plays the field safety. He plays the free safety most of the time, so you don't really get to see him a whole lot. Um, but Kobe has done a great job of understanding his role in the defense more thoroughly. And it's just as simple as that, where he is a big physical kid. He's pretty. He's faster than I gave him credit for. Because, you know, that whole thing of playing fast, playing to the top of your ability, comes from a mental understanding of what you're doing and not thinking and reacting. But the Mike linebacker has to understand just about everything on, on the defense because gap exchanges, this defense using particular styles of play where you're doing a lot of different things to get guys open, running a defensive play to get Kobe King free in the B-gap to tackle the runner. They did switch things up a little bit where before this year they were running the middle linebacker into the line of scrimmage on a run blitz to get Abdul Carter uh, into the backfield. And it wasn't working perfectly because Abdul was thinking a lot still. So what they did is they flipped it and Abdul attacks and Kobe is the one that cleans up. So not so I think that shows you like the difference in Kobe understands the defense. He's able to execute those assignments and attack. And then you're having your young linebacker with all the superstar capabilities. We're going to use his athleticism to open things up for other guys. And they got to the point in the end of the year where both those guys were interchangeable, where Abdul kind of got it. And suddenly now either of them are an option to do that. KJ Winston, um, it was just a matter of time in a similar situation of understanding the defense and making plays. The end of the year where he's uh, being a tight end eraser against Malik Carr. Part of it is the domination up front, and there's there's just so few places the ball can go in that situation. If he's in an even situation, I want to see his, his coverage skills. But generally, he has become a better coverage defender, and he's an elite run stopper. Uh, he allowed no missed tackles this year, which is just amazing. Very good, T. Frank. And also, the way they used Abdul Carter, Kobe King, the way you described it, I think, again, Credit goes to Manny Diaz for seeing that and figuring that out. All right, that is it for our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.